This week on Go Chuck Yourself, we're talking about Chuck versus the Curse. Ooh. Aaron, what kind of spooky things will we be talking about today? We'll be talking about massage chairs, board Ooh. sommeliers, an open table. I don't know if we have any listeners still tuned in because that opening was just so damn scary, but if you're brave enough to stick it out, then hello, welcome to Go Check Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arata. And this is it, folks. This is our Halloween episode of this season. Uh, Longtime listeners know of the show that usually our Halloween episodes, the episodes that we release near Halloween, don't usually line up with the Halloween episodes of Chuck. And that is especially true this time. We blew past this season's Halloween episode. It's Chuck versus the Bearded Bandit. Uh, but this is our Halloween episode. And wouldn't you know, it's Chuck versus the Curse. And I'd say that sounds pretty damn spooky to me. What do you think, Aaron? I think it definitely sounds pretty spooky. And I would say that there were some things in this episode that felt cursed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And we're going to be talking about all of them uh, in just a moment. I will say that... Uh, I feel like every other week here at Go Check Yourself is a Halloween episode. <laughs> I feel it, like we've done roughly 30 like of it. them. Yeah. I know um, that we've, we've only done five, but... We've done 100 episodes, and it feels <laughs> like at least 10 of them have been Halloween episodes somehow. Correct. Right, which may be because we spread out the Halloween a little bit between our Halloween episode and their Halloween episode. But That's true. I feel like we're constantly trying to talk about Halloween here and have run out of things to say. Right. And not even so actually when I say that we've had five Halloween episodes, that's not even accurate because we've only been doing the show. This is our only our third Halloween doing the show. So we've only had three Halloween episodes. Chuck has had five Halloween episodes. Yeah. Okay. So we have even less than I thought that we had, but it feels like we've had way more. Um, Aaron's lights are seemingly red right now, which looks pretty spooky. Listener, Ooh. you can't picture that, but I guess I'll also turn on my red ah, light. Well, yours are much scarier. <laughs> Mine is supposed to be like a soft pink, but okay. yours are like scarlet red. You look like you're in hell right now. I am in hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I also have, this is not related to my Halloween costume, but I debuted a new mustache today, everyone. So, um... It, not part of my costume, but I guess that kind of does now like with the red background and like this kind of little mustache <laughs> slash soul patch thing. I kind of look like the devil kind of right. Yeah, you kind of do. Kind of like a, a saucy little devil. You, I'm just I'm just going to leave that one there. <laughs> All right, fine. Aaron didn't want to touch that one. That's fine. Um, yeah, so it's it's Halloween. Aaron, what are your big... This episode will be released on November 1st. So, Aaron, what will you have done for Halloween when this episode has aired? Well, I'll be um, I'll be attending two parties in the Whoa. same night. Wow, not surprising because Aaron's a socialite, everyone. I haven't um, told either host that I will be attending two parties, so I fully expect it to be like the scene at the mm -hmm. beginning of 27 Dresses when she's like switching costumes, or I guess like bridesmaids dresses in that case. 
um, and like going back and forth. They're not very far apart from each other. So I could feasibly just like pretend to be going to the bathroom for a really long time and then like pop back in. Um, and then on Halloween proper, um, I don't want to give too much information about this lest um, you and some of our listeners decide that they want to attend. Um, having you and my family is enough, but the um, Emerson Pitch Fest that I am unfortunately now a part of, um, I will be doing some, uh, I will be doing a class for that on actual Halloween. And then uh, in preparation for my pitch, which is the following week when this episode will be released. Um, so theoretically, if you want to do some research and figure that out and then see me pitch a film, you can, but I'm not going to make it easy for you. I guess, first of all, I love the kind of classic sitcom antics for you. Like you're going to, I imagine you're going to have two different costumes that yep. you'll have to mm-hmm. change back and forth between. And then like, the I'm going to forget like the the wrong right. wig is going to be on. Yeah. And they'll be like, Aaron, what'd you do with it? And you'll be like, oh, and then, so I love that. That sounds really uh, wacky and fun. So that sounds like a nice way to spend your your Halloween Eve, uh, the pitch fest, everyone, in case you didn't know, which you probably wouldn't, Aaron was, uh, allegedly randomly selected. <laughs> Aaron entered. Well, I, I mean, you could explain it more in depth, but to my understanding of it, you entered a raffle through our college that their college had sent allegedly sent an email out to alumni saying, Hey, if you're interested <laughs> in participating in this, uh, I guess you'll enter a raffle Aaron texted me or asked me and said, hey, did you get this email? And I said, no, I did not receive that email. So some kind of select group of college alumni (laughs) received this email, one of which was Aaron. One of which is me. She Um, said that she was going to enter the raffle. And um, and I did. Um, (laughs) So it may be like some sort of murder plot. Mm -hmm. um, Or it may be some sort of... um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't um I didn't think that I was going to get it. I wasn't really prepared. I've never pitched anything before. That's the reason I don't want anyone to see me do this. Um but Chris will be there. More context listener is that I just threw like I guess I googled it or something or I don't it, know it how. Was in an no, email. it was it wasn't an email. Yeah. It was an email to all of us commoners that got sent out. <laughs> they said, "Hear ye, hear ye. Yeah. The royalty of of the alumni and I was like, oh, this is the thing Aaron's doing. And I clicked on it and it took me to an Eventbrite page. Yep. And I was like, you can just sign up to watch this. So naturally, I signed up to watch it and it will be airing. I'm on the East Coast. Aaron's on the West Coast. It's apparently airing between 10 p.m. and midnight, my local time. Oh, good. On a weeknight. So I will be wearing my PJs and uh, just supporting Aaron. Um, and as someone who has pitched things in person before to strangers, I can confidently say, Aaron, that it's appropriate that this is the Halloween episode because it will be the scariest thing that you have ever done. Okay, well, that's uh, something to look forward to. (laughs) Prepare to sweat through all of your clothes. Okay. And not even just certain areas, all of them. 100% of (laughs) the surface area that's touching clothes will be wet and will soak through it. Okay, good to know. Um, (laughs) What are you doing for Halloween, Chris? Um... I am traveling to the the great metropolis of New York City, Ooh. where I'm beginning to some antics, maybe sitcom antics, maybe not. I don't know what's going to happen, but I will be uh, I will be wearing. I'm going as uh, uh, Bono, circa 1992. So I will be wearing basically all leather. So I'm really hoping that it's going to be a 
chilly evening because or else you're gonna be sweating through everything i will be sweaty and also probably very chafed so i will be bringing <laughs> a lot of baby powder with me to new york city good plan good plan that was our halloween i guess now we have a an audio document that we can look back and say yep that's what we did uh or maybe you'll be like that's what we said we were going to do and none of it actually came true but god i hope so who knows so now we'll move into chuck versus the curse Woo! I think out of all three episodes, I think the only thing that delineates a Halloween episode for us is that we both go woo a lot and that's it. There's no other. I was like, thinking that I should bring like a werewolf sound into it because um, every time I go woo, I think it's not it's not too far from like, ow, but I haven't uh, I didn't do it yet. So maybe maybe by the end. OK, yeah, that'd be good because who knows how many more Halloween episodes we have. That's true. So uh, Chuck versus the curse. We are starting this episode down in Castle. Chuck and Sarah are safe from Decker on account of him being dead, but the fact that he was bugging them at all begs the question, who was he working for and who's got it out for Team Bartowski? Now, we've said before that a lot of things in season five are kind of pulling from previous seasons, but there's one past season favorite that has not made an appearance yet that does make an appearance in this episode. Chris, I see you smiling. Do you want to tell us what it is? It's the motherfucking air ducks. Woo! Yes! <laughs> yes, you are right, Chris. Uh, fresh off their prison break, Morgan and Casey are making their way through the castle air ducks. Was, I, were you happy to see them? I was very confused because Casey and Morgan are both wearing their prison getups. Uh-huh. And so I thought that they were crawling through the air ducts of the prison, which I was like, okay, this is, you know, different, different air ducts, but that's fine. But then come to find out that they're in Castle, even though Castle's air ducts we know are very spacious and you could drive mm-hmm. a Cadillac through them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so did you understand why they were crawling through Castle's air ducts? Because the implication that I got was that there's some kind of air duct system going from the state prison where Casey was being kept <laughs> to Castle, which is obviously absurd. Clearly, Chris... You were not paying close enough attention, but thankfully my notes, uh, I've got you. So apparently this is some sort of overcautious plan on Morgan's part. He wanted to give them some leeway in case Castle was compromised. So there really is no reason for them to be in the air ducts. They weren't in the air ducts at prison, but the reason that they're in there is just to be safe in case. I I mean, I don't know why they would need to be in Castle if it was like... I, I guess they were going to go, like, peek through the ducts, see if everything looked good in there, and then potentially drop down. And then if it wasn't, then they would leave, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I wrote down why they did this. They do explain why they did this. Um, but spelling out doesn't really make any more sense than what you just said. Morgan expects Casey to judge him for being kind of a coward about this whole thing. But Casey is actually impressed. So we're not, but Casey is. That's what matters. Once our boys make it down to the not-actually-compromised castle, Casey explains that Verbansky has left the country. The team is sympathetic about the loss of his old lady, but he puts on a brave face. One thing they may need that brave face for, Team Bartowski has that famous crazy old hacking machine, the Omen. The Omen, devil reference, much like my devil costume, which I'm not wearing, but (laughs) I'm a... I'm imagining myself in. And you know what, listener? You should as well. Picture me in a devil costume throughout. Not like a scary devil costume, but like a like fun in, devil costume. Yeah, like in Hocus Pocus, that like sure. that man who they flirt with. Yeah, um, exactly. 
a lot of times when I'm writing my notes um, or when I write your name, I accidentally write Christ. Um, so it's kind of like you are Chris. You are the anti-Chris at this right now. <laughs> the anti-Chris. Yes. The anti-Chris. The anti-Chris. Yes. So, yeah. So they have the omen. They lament the fact that they don't have access to the CIA anymore because they'd love to get General Diane Beckman's opinion on what to do next. They suggest they can find her or she can find them. One of Castle's TVs comes to life, revealing a very angry Beckman telling the team they're under arrest for being traitors and the CIA will be coming to collect them soon. Chuck freaks out, but not so fast, Chuckles. Sarah and Casey note that Beckman was using one of her fingers to tap out some Morse code during the call. Her message? They have five minutes to escape. Chuck and Sarah decide to head to Chuck's dad's cabin, which apparently no one has found or confiscated or renovated or sold for its real estate value. Uh, Apparently it's still there, and so is the Orion computer. Once again being hunted by a nefarious, mysterious someone, Chuck slips back into anxieties from his past. And as he's the only one of their team not technically on their team, Morgan is the only one who can go back to the complex to gather some last-minute supplies. We cut from this rather tense sequence to a rather sensuous sequence. Uh, In a scene reminiscent of Sarah getting ready in previous seasons, we see Ellie getting ready for a date with Devin, complete with a single metal spike through her bun. While this is happening, Devin is waiting outside the door, and I have to say, when the man finally lays eyes on his wife all dolled up, he basically turns into a hard eyes emoji, and it was very cute. We learn that Clara is with Devin's parents yet again, which... Again, where do these people live? Did they move from Connecticut to help with childcare? We don't know. They must have. I bet I bet they retired and then they moved to California is my I mean that home. makes sense. That seems like something parents would do. Yeah, I think that sounds fair. Like they yeah. retired and then they're like, Oh, Devin's having a baby, so we should go like we want to move to California to be close to that. That is my uh fan fiction. Yes, fan fiction is the right word. I was, <laughs> couldn't think of the word, but that's that's what it was. So Ellie and Devin, relieved of their child, are having a much-needed date night, and we learn that they both have surprises for one another. Oh, yeah. Also a surprise, there's a ninja in the complex courtyard. What? Ah, oh, wait, it's just Morgan and ninja gear. Uh. He sneaks into Casey's, consequently his own apartment, to be confronted by the barrel of a gun. And his ex-girlfriend, Alex, at the other end of it. Not sure which one of those is more deadly. Am I right, fellas? <laughs> that was the right reaction. Thank you. Uh, Alex explains that the authorities contacted her about her dad's treason, and she went to his place to try to help him out. Morgan explains the whole situation, ending by asking if Alex is all right. She's kind of nice. They haven't seen each other since they broke up, so that's, that's sweet. Uh, While they're talking, the might of the CIA barges into the apartment, and one of them is a blonde woman who isn't Sarah? It's crazy. Have you ever (laughs) seen the like? Uh, This is an agent named Robin Cunnings, who is played by Rebecca Romaine, who you said used to be Rebecca Romaine Stamos, but is no longer. Yep, she got the Stamos surgically removed. It happens. It happens to all of us at some point. (laughs) <laughs> um, she's going to be the antagonist for the rest of the episode. Whoa, um, spoiler alert. Sorry, I mean, I'm sorry, but uh, we, we, you got to be prepared. Yeah. What you don't have to be prepared for is for her, there's another spoiler, but uh, sticking around after this episode, you will never see her again. So, sorry. 
Um, she questions Morgan and Alex, thinking quickly. Alex explains that she's Morgan's girlfriend and they're hanging out in Morgan's apartment. Robin is a little dubious about this, specifically the fact that Morgan lives with his girlfriend's dad. But she decides to accept it and post an agent outside their door in case Casey comes back. On the road, Chuck is dealing with what I guess is trauma from what he had to go through in previous seasons. He's distraught that he can't call Ellie to explain what's going on and where he is and that he might have to be out of town for a little while. And even more so that he might have to disappear on her for good. On the one hand, I get that this is kind of like a sore subject, like this is something he had to deal with a lot a couple years ago. Um, but you'd think he'd have like a little bit of a coping mechanism developed by now. It's happened a lot. And it's, <laughs> and it's always kind of worked out. In the next scene, we get the biggest shock of the episode, which is that open table existed in 2011. Did you know this? I did not know this. I, I didn't either, but apparently for their date, Ellie used Chuck's open table account. It seems like, I don't know if this is still the case because I don't use it that regularly. It seems like at this point you could get points um, mm. for, is, is that still a thing, you know? I don't, I'm flattered that you think that I make dinner reservations <laughs> frequently enough to have a open table rewards account, but I, I'm not familiar. I do not know. Okay. Well, I don't either, but apparently uh, Chuck wants the points, so Ellie has been using his name, meaning that their reservation is under the name of Bartowski. Unfortunately, uh, the CIA has eyes everywhere because Ellie uttering the word Bartowski, or maybe the open table pinging under the name Bartowski, pings the CIA. At their table, Ellie and Devin coyly discuss their surprises for one another. Despite the fact that he decided in a previous season that he wants nothing to do with the spy life, Devin wonders what it would be like if they were actually Chuck and Sarah. Uh, this time, it's like a sexy roleplay thing, complete with the fact that Ellie borrowed her dress from Sarah. Which, like, I don't know, I hope, I hope she's not, like, I mean, she's clearly planning to have sex with Devin, I hope what? she, like, takes it off first. Like, that's... I would be kind of weirded out if someone borrowed my dress and then had sex in it. Oh, so now you think that people are going to take off their clothes to have sex? Whereas <laughs> in the episode from last week, we're like, no, people could leave their clothes on. That's a good point. Well, not in... You can leave your clothes on if they are your clothes. If you have borrowed them, you have to take them off. Maybe that's the rule. <laughs> and that's... When Casey and Rubansky had sex, they were wearing their own clothes, so they left them on. But it was a prison uniform, so it clearly was borrowed, so that, that doesn't track. I don't know. Wow, yeah, you just kind of found the holes in your own logic right there. <laughs> I appreciate that. So less sexy than in this whole scene, or maybe more sexy, depending what you're into, is Chuck and Sarah upstate, where Chuck is freaking out about becoming his father. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's my fantasy. Um, well, I mean, someone becoming Scott Bakula <laughs> is kind of intriguing, I, I would say. Well, wait a second. You realize what this means, though, right? Oh, I do. Yes. That we here are gathered at the, the Halloween episode of Chuck, and there was mention of... God, I... It's like a... Well, you're, well, you're the devil right now. You can say it. It's okay. It's like a, a voice from my past that <laughs> I thought that it had, had left me, but it's just quietly in the background of my mind, just echoing through my empty skull. The name. What's it, what's it saying, Chris? Scott. Dracula! <laughs> I know that's a werewolf, but like, vampires don't really have sounds. 
Uh. Yeah, I mean, Hotel Transylvania would posit that they say blah, blah, blah. So I guess there's that, but. <laughs> the scholar said Hotel Transylvania. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. So what Chuck is worried about is that there's something called the Bartowski curse. He believes Which turns that it, people into vampires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That would, I mean, that would be an episode. That's Maybe our episode. episode. We should, yes. we should write that. That Let's could be like when they make a new season five that like corrects all the wrongs of this season five, there will be blood and specifically vampire blood. So Chuck believes that every Bartowski has had to put their family in danger and then leave them. I kind of like this as trauma because, of course, like his life experiences would probably come back in that way. But it is kind of coming out of nowhere. Um, it This wasn't something he's been thinking about all season or was even really thinking about last season. So I was kind of surprised. Mm -hmm. um, also, something I was a little disappointed about is um, I, it's clear he's talking about his mom and dad, but I kind of wish that we went back in time and showed like Jebediah Bartowski leaving his family behind on the Oregon Trail. Things are getting too tough for me here. I'm going to go off my own way. You kids will be fine. Watch out for them bears. Yep, exactly. And watch out for that dysentery. <laughs> Sarah reassures Chuck that things will be different for him because he has her. While they're talking about this, they're using the Orion computer, which is, again, still around and still able to hack the CIA. Uh, it does bring up a file about someone wanting to screw Chuck over, but it doesn't say who that is or who Decker was working for. No lead agent is listed in the file, so it's a dead end. We get a nice cutaway to the Santa Monica Pier at sunset. Then we're back to Devin and Ellie, or should I say, Six Pack and Hot Mama. Apparently, their little role play has made them too excited to eat their dinner because we see waitstaff take away two full plates of food as Devin heads off to get Ellie's surprise. Take this away, waiter. <laughs> I am far too horny to eat right now. <laughs> All I can think about is making love to my lovely wife here. I'm not thinking about eating your pathetic food. Take this away. Uh, it's nice. It's nice to see what um, what's going on when you go to dinner as the devil. <laughs> so back in the cabin, Chuck and Sarah get a notification that the CIA has located the Bartowskis. Thinking that's referring to him and Sarah, not Ellie and Devin, Chuck continues to freak out about going on the run and the curse. Sarah asks him to trust her, and Chuck says fine, but first, he needs his pants. Pants, it turns out, is just another fucking acronym. I didn't actually write down what it stands for, so um, do, do you remember... I did. I wrote it down because okay. I'm the good co-host okay, and I wrote good. private artifacts never to share. I don't think they actually say. Do, does they, do they actually say or does it just show the box? Uh, no, they definitely said it. Okay, well, on the other end of a phone call from Chuck, Morgan explains to Alex that pants are these kind of keepsake boxes that he and Chuck have been keeping since they were kids. This is the first we're hearing about this, uh, but I guess I'll allow it. Back at the restaurant, Devin reveals to the aforementioned very bored sommelier that his surprise is wine, the same bottle he and Ellie had at their wedding. Just a nice surprise. While he's at the bar, a CIA guy played by Lee Rareman of Last Action Hero and Star Trek Into Darkness uh, tells Devin that Project Eagle has gone into effect. Ellie finds a napkin on the table that says the same thing. Devin and Ellie both think this is part of the surprise, so they go along with it. As he's about to go on the run, Chuck gets a notification from, once again, Open Table, and realizes that Ellie must have used his account, and 
Archie and Devin are the ones the CIA has found. Oh, no. I would like to take this moment to uh, speak a little bit about one of our sponsors for this episode, which is Open Table. Open Table. <laughs> are you looking to make a reservation at some of the city's hottest local restaurants? Check out Open Table and you'll be able to reserve a spot on the go, on your phone, or on any web-enabled device. Just go to www.opentable.com and use the passcode GCY to get 500 bonus points for your first reservation. Those bonus points are great, Aaron. You can use them at the uh, Open Table shop, uh, which has all kinds of things. You can redeem for experiences, uh, luggage, housewares, clothing, you name it. The Open Table shop has got it. So don't be an idiot. Make your reservations through Open Table and use the code GCY to get 500 of those excellent sweet rewards points and use them towards something special for you and the missus. Open table. Are you, are you looking at their website or did you just make that whole thing up? No, I, <laughs> I just made all of that up. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Which good good I, improv. I realized that as I said that, it sounded like I said it sarcastically, but no, listener, sincerely, I made all of that up. None of that is real. <laughs> Don't go to opentable.com. I, I mean, not that I'm advising you not to do it, but uh, this I mean, is it not, might work. Try. Maybe if you enter GCY, you'll you'll get a uh, five five hundred bonus points. Upon realizing this, Chuck tries calling Ellie, but she turns off her phone because Devin says that uh, her being on her phone is, quote, ruining his spy vibes. <laughs> Devin and Ellie get into the back of a limo, which they each think the other arranged and drive off as all the doors lock around them. They really kind of give themselves a lot of credit because they just decided about the spy thing at dinner. <laughs> but for some reason, they're both like, oh, this makes sense that the other person arranged a limo while we were sitting here. Um, very confusing. Meanwhile, a crown Vic pulls up outside of an isolated roadhouse restaurant that is inexplicably closed for some reason. Casey enters, gun drawn, and scans the room before finding Beckman walking around in the dark like the ghost of a Victorian child in an old manor. She takes a <laughs> swig out of a bottle of whiskey and says that there's a group in the CIA trying to destroy Chuck uh, for the second time, right? Because it wasn't like Fulcrum or The Ring. One of them was a cell inside the CIA that was trying yeah, to destroy Chuck. I, maybe both. Beckman explains that she's trying to find the mole on her end while helping Chuck and Sarah as much as she can but that doesn't negate the fact that Chuck and Sarah and their family are still being hunted. Ellie and Devin are enjoying their little limo ride when their driver makes a sharp turn. Devin comments that Ellie's driver is making some interesting choices, to which Ellie says, my driver, I thought this was your surprise. Devin explains that his surprise was a bottle of wine and says that they need to tell the driver that there's been a mix-up. Ellie's afraid to because she thinks the driver might shoot them, so she thinks it's best that they just try to keep their heads down and figure it out. Uh-oh. Sounds like our happy couple has found themselves on a real-life spy mission. Oh. Zoinks! <laughs> this is more than they bargained for. Classic sitcom scenario, just like the double costumes, double parties. <laughs> Let's pretend to be spies. Oh, no, we're actually spies. Back in Casey's apartment, Morgan is pilfering through Casey's spy equipment in order to formulate a plan of his own to get into Chuck and Sarah's apartment and retrieve Chuck's pants. He tells Alex that he's going to climb to the roof of the apartment shoot a zip line across the courtyard, climb across the zip line, and then climb down into Chuck's apartment and back. Alex says that this sounds like a dumb and dangerous plan and comes up with her own plan. Prank call 911 and tell them that her crazy ex-boyfriend is stalking her apartment. Oh, I love that show. 
She executes this plan and Morgan is impressed and hopefully a little disturbed. Alex says that the CIA should be distracted once the police arrive, giving him an opportunity to just run over to Chuck and Sarah's apartment. Back in the limo, Ellie and Devin have switched seats. I'm not sure why exactly, but they're on, they're in each other's seats. They're trying to formulate an escape plan of their own. Devin suggests that they open the doors and combat roll out of the car. But Ellie says that she can't do that. Why can't she do that, Erin? Because uh, she's wearing lingerie? No, that's the problem. She's not wearing any underpants. Well, she's, but she's wearing, she is wearing lingerie. She's just not wearing any underpants with them. Do you not understand that? What? No, what? She God. said that she, <laughs> I, you're really like outing yourself for not being knowledgeable about lingerie here. <laughs> I remember when this used to be a podcast about Chuck, not about <laughs> you explaining lingerie to me. My understanding. So she references Agent Provocateur, which is a store that sells lingerie. That made sense to you? I thought it was just like made up gobbledygook (laughs) that she said the writers came up with. She says she went there and got a set for which the underwear was optional and she opted not to wear the underwear. But she's wearing a dress that she already established is from Sarah. Like the dress is not the lingerie. So she's wearing something under the dress, but she's just not wearing underwear with it. I thought that meant that she was wearing like some kind of bra setup and then no nothing yes. down beneath. Yes. Okay. So we were on the same page. Okay. Yeah. No, that's what yeah. I just meant. Like, sorry, I meant like underpants, not necessarily okay. no underwear. Okay. I understand. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Glad that's yeah. all resolved. I'm not a complete and total idiot. I mean, I am, but Ellie's not in this circumstance. Yeah. We're both on the same page that Ellie is not wearing underwear and apparently not uh flashing greater los angeles is worth uh potentially losing her life correct she's gonna be modest till the very end she doesn't want to roll out of this car even though they're in the middle of nowhere and you know what i would understand more is if she Mm -hmm. said i can't do that because i might damage sarah's dress and i borrowed this from her and i respect other people's property sarah's gonna kick my ass if i bring back (laughs) her dress and it has a rip in it or if I have sex in her dress, also going to get my ass kicked. Anyhow, Chuck and Sarah are back on the road, presumably to find Ellie and Devin before they have some kind of disgusting <laughs> intercourse uh, that rips and or stains the dress. Chuck calls Casey to let him know what's going on. But Casey tells Chuck that he already knows. Apparently, Project Eagle was Beckman's idea. And the limo driver is actually bringing Devin and Ellie to a safe location. That's a relief. Good thing Ellie and Devin won't jump out of the moving car. Just kidding. As this conversation is happening, Ellie and Devin decide to jump out of the moving car. Wasn't the doors locked? Like, we saw the locks go down. How'd they get them open? I guess they, you could just manually open them. All right. Okay, sure. The limo driver doesn't notice that they've escaped immediately, and he drives further down the road before seeing the door open notification on his dashboard. He pulls over right away, but Ellie and Devin have already fled. He calls Beckman to tell her that there's a problem. As he's doing this, Rebecca Romaine pulls up in an SUV and shoots him in the chest. She and her SUV follow Ellie and Devin into a nearby quarry. Rebecca Romaine approaches them thinking they're Chuck and Sarah, but quickly realizes that she has the wrong people, the wrong people who might be useful to her. She lies and says that she works with Chuck and that Chuck has sent her to pick them up because there are some bad agents after them. Ellie is somewhat skeptical of this, but Rebecca Romaine implores her to trust her. So Devin and Ellie get into the car with her. No, Ellie and Devin never get into a car with a stranger, even when that stranger is famed actress and model Rebecca Romaine. I was 
pretty bummed out by this. Like, I feel like Ellie, I mean, is a literal brain surgeon. I feel like she's smarter than this. She's also raising a child right now. And like your number one thing that you teach a child is like, don't get in cars with strangers that say we work with your parents when they don't have like proof of that and you <laughs> don't recognize them. So like this, I, I feel like she's just smarter than that. I, I guess it's just like it's supposed to be like they're just panicking. That's very true. I forgot that the only thing worse than just like getting into a car with a stranger is getting into a car with a stranger that purportedly knows your parents yeah. and says everything's fine. Yeah, it's way worse. <laughs> um, yeah. So don't do this, kids. I know there's a lot of kids listening to the show, but don't do that. Sorry about all the sex talk, kids. <laughs> Go ask your parents. Back at the apartment, Alex plan to fool first responders works like a charm, and Morgan is able to sneak into Chuck and Sarah's apartment and retrieve Chuck's pants. Meanwhile, Chuck and Sarah have joined Casey and Beckman at the roadhouse. Surprisingly, Beckman and Casey are sober, I guess. They're not drunk, despite that the fact that they've probably just been sitting there, like, knocking him back for a few hours. Chuck wants to go rescue Ellie and Devin, but, okay, well, I guess, who do you think has a higher tolerance, Beckman or Casey? Probably Beckman, right? I think it's Beckman, because she's smaller. So you think that means she can handle her alcohol better? I think like she's had more experience with handling her alcohol like over a longer period of time. True. Like, Casey has Casey naturally has a higher tolerance because he's like bigger and a man, but because Beckman is like starting from a lower place, she's had to like she, she's had to like fight through the glass ceiling of sobriety. All right. So uh, Chuck, Chuck wants to go rescue Ellie and Devin, but Beckman insists that the best strategy is for them to wait until Rebecca Romaine reaches out to them. Chuck is anxious because he thinks that Ellie and Devin are probably getting tortured. And when we cut to some kind of abandoned facility downtown and hear Devin's moans, we are led to believe that this is true. Turns out Devin is in, just in some kind of fancy <laughs> massage chair in the CIA safe house. He's, he, okay. I mean, it, like, it wouldn't make sense for him to be screaming, but it sounds way more like an orgasm than it does like him Correct. being tortured. So much so. All right, kids, if you're <laughs> listening to this now, you need to seriously skip ahead like 30 seconds. I thought <laughs> my mind just went to because they were talking about like all these sexy surprises and everything. We just we open on a face like the shot of Devin in the chair moaning with his head back. <laughs> okay, Ellie's I'm glad nowhere I, to be seen. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought this. <laughs> I was like, season five of Chuck. Damn, Mama. <laughs> All right, kids, you can turn back on now. Um. <laughs> so he's not getting pleasured orally. He's just in a massage chair. <laughs> In the CIA safe house, Devin is living his best life, but Ellie is uneasy. Rebecca Romaine enters and lets him know that Chuck will be on his way and asks if she can get them any refreshments. Ellie says that they were on a date and would like to continue their date with a bottle of wine, which Rebecca Romaine reluctantly agrees to. She then storms out of the room before the door is even fully shut and tells her extremely bald henchman. Her, we haven't talked about him yet, but her henchman, her number two guy is like aggressively bald like strikingly <laughs> he's really bald i don't want to like i don't want people to think like i'm making fun of him because like i don't know if he has like with alopecia or whatever the hairless condition but i don't think he is i think it's just shaved and he's very bald and it's very distracting but anyhow she tells this man get that insufferable woman a <laughs> bottle of wine and get chuck Bartesky on the phone so I'm like, I don't think Ellie's insufferable. And also, like, why did you agree to get her a bottle of wine? That's weird. But 
the bald man does as he's told and calls Chuck. Rebecca Romaine does the whole, I'm the villain, I have your loved ones, blah, 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 phone call, and tells Chuck that he has three hours to deliver the omen or she'll kill Ellie and Devin. Chuck is obviously deeply troubled by this, but Beckman says their best plan is to create a fake omen that they can deliver in exchange for Ellie and Devin. Chuck doesn't love this plan, but Beckman and Casey remind Chuck that the omen is too dangerous to give to Rebecca Romaine. Sarah promises Chuck that everything will be okay, so he uh, very hesitantly gets on board. But then he runs away to have a panic attack in, like, one of the back hallways of the restaurant, like, headed towards the bathroom. He's just kind of standing there by himself, freaking out. Sarah comes over to console him, but he says that he just can't wait to save Ellie and Devin and that he'll act alone if he needs to. Sarah says that she will get Casey and Beckman on board with their plan, but Chuck doesn't think that she can. Sarah insists it's possible. Even if it's not, she says that she'll go with Chuck and they will save Ellie and Devin together. At this point... Ellie is realizing that her phone is missing. Devin tells her to relax. Her phone probably just fell out when they were rolling out of the car. Ellie is not enthused about this answer because it's a terrible one. Like, he's like, don't worry. I'm sure your phone's just on the side of the road somewhere. (laughs) Great. Thanks. That doesn't help me at all. Just then a henchman enters. Not the bald one, but like this kind of like bearded guy. He seems really nice. He presents them with a bottle of Chardonnay because he couldn't find out the, the wine that they specifically ordered. And he also says that they found Ellie's phone in the limo. He hands it to Ellie and Ellie immediately checks her recent calls and sees that a call was placed a few minutes before to Chuck. Ellie puts two and two together and decides to smash the wine bottle over the henchman's head, knocking him out and shouts, they're going to kill us. (laughs) She explains that she's dealt with the CIA enough to know that this is a hostage situation and that she and Devin need to find a new way to escape. At the roadhouse, Sarah pitches the idea to Beckman and Casey that maybe they should try to protect Ellie and Devin's lives. Beckman and Casey warm to this idea pretty quickly, like with no hesitation at all. It makes you wonder why they even shot it down in the first place. (laughs) They decide to help Chuck. Sarah picks up the carrying case the Omen hard drive was in, but it's empty. Where is the Omen? In Chuck's pocket, of course. And where's Chuck? Well, he's ringing the doorbell on Rebecca Romaine's hideout. She lets him in and demands that he give her the Omen. Chuck asks if she really thought he'd be dumb enough to bring the Omen with him. I mean, I thought he was, but I guess he wasn't. Chuck says that he wants Ellie and Devin safe before he reveals his super secret hiding spot. Rebecca Romaine agrees and brings him to the holding lounge, only to find that Devin and Ellie have already escaped. Chuck smiles, proud of his sister. Chuck apparently then surrenders without a fight very quickly because the next time we see him, he's tied up to like a steel beam. And Rebecca Romaine tells him that she's really good at torturing people. Chuck insists that the torture won't work and that he won't reveal where the omen is until he knows that Devin and Ellie are safe. Meanwhile, Devin and Ellie look on from the distance where they're hiding. Ellie wants to flank the bad guys, but Devin says that they need a tactical advantage first, and they run away. Torture expert uh, Rebecca Romaine uses something called the toy, which seems to be not a toy, but like a car battery with like metal clamps attached to it. Um, She's also wearing a sleeveless shirt under her blazer, which seems like really uncomfortable. Have you ever done that? It's the worst. You yeah. gotta you gotta protect those sleeves. Yeah. Are you, you gotta you gotta protect those arms using <laughs> sleeves? Yes. While she prepares to torture Chuck, Ellie and Devin are free and running around the warehouse trying to come up with a real spy plan of their own. Ellie says she's going to cause a distraction while Devin blows the power and grabs Chuck. Meanwhile, Robin is doing typical talk too much, don't actually torture anyone stuff. Like she's being kind of sus about not actually torturing Chuck. She takes a moment to ask Chuck if he ever cries, which is like supposed to be 
threatening, I guess, but it's actually just kind of weird. Um, he says he does cry, particularly during sports movies, which prompt me to wonder if he's going to cry during American Underdog. I think he will. I think, I think so, definitely too. will. Yeah. Back upstairs or wherever they are, I'm not really clear. Uh, Ellie uses the spike from her hair um, and gives it to Devin so that he can use it to stab out the electricity. She also advises him that he should um, get something to cushion the blow on his hands so he doesn't get shocked or burned. So he takes off his shirt. They both look incredibly hot because her hair is down. He's shirtless. So they make out for a little while. Then Ellie bangs on a pipe to distract a guard. Back downstairs, uh, Rebecca Romaine is just like repeatedly asking Chuck, omen or pain? Omen or pain? And like, clearly she should just like kind of get to it. But like, I think there's something in her way. I think she has a mental block against torturing this man. Speaking of torture, Devin is not afraid to uh, commit physical, to cause physical pain to another person. He punches a guard right in the face and uses Ellie's hair spike to turn off the power. Unfortunately for him, uh, right as he rushes down to rescue Chuck, the backup generator comes on and the power just comes right back on with it. And Devin is caught. We cut to the car where Sarah and Casey are rushing to Chuck's rescue. Sarah is mad that Chuck left her behind. Um, She has deduced that he did this because he thinks he can protect her from the curse, which I I guess is why he did it. But it's also like he didn't trust that she was going to convince Beckman or like didn't trust her to involve her in his plan. Like I would I would uh, probably divorce him over this, to be honest. (laughs) I'm taking a hard line. (laughs) Isn't he committing the curse by leaving her behind? Yes. So he's not really protecting her from the curse. He's falling prey to the curse. He is falling prey to the curse. Which is the paradoxical nature of the Bartowski curse. You can never really escape it. I guess that's true. Just like old Jebediah said. You can never really escape it. Now, that's a different voice than what I did for old Jebediah before. <laughs> Rebecca Romaine asked Chuck, are you done? Which, like, first of all, no, neither of them have done anything yet. But second of all, that's what I want to ask her when I like just get on with it. Um, she's about to attack Devin instead of Chuck, I guess, thinking that um, that will frighten Chuck more, even though, like, she's probably not going to attack Devin either. Um, when Chuck admits that he actually did bring the omen with him and just buried it outside under a flower bush. Meanwhile, Ellie is about to hit a man with a piece of metal, the, the aforementioned bald man, um, but she whacks it on a pipe and accidentally uh, makes some sound. He turns around to shoot her, but I guess he's distracted by, like, being a pervert? I don't really know what what distracts him, but he just thinks she's so beautiful, maybe? Uh, then he gets shot by Sarah. Oh, well. Ellie is very excited to see the other half of Team Bartowski, and Casey says rescuing Bartowskis is their business. Back downstairs, one of the CIA guys has brought in the omen from under the flower bush that Chuck hid it under. Despite all her big game, uh, Rebecca really seems not to want to torture Chuck using the toy because she just packs it up right away, even though she could definitely still use it. She just decides she's going to shoot him and Devin instead. She tells Chuck he's pissed off a lot of people. She doesn't know what's going to happen if she releases the omen virus, but she's going to do it, and Chuck is going to take the fall. Chuck is pretty confident now, though. He starts delivering a monologue about how someone is about to rescue him. She says she's going to take all your men down to save her husband. 
Rebecca Romain thinks that he's talking about Ellie, but in fact, Chuck is talking about Sarah. She shuts off the power again, and she and Casey have very, like, Matrix-esque glasses. I kind of wish Carrie Ann Moss was here to also be wearing them, but she's not. It's just them. Uh, apparently, they're, like, night vision goggles or something. They shoot everyone except Rebecca Romaine, and then Sarah pistol whips her and knocks her to the ground. Ellie comes running out, like, not phased at all by, like, the dozens not dozens, but I guess singular dozen yeah, of dead kinda, guys yeah, on the ground. Yeah, a lot of dead she's guys. Like, well, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> not faced. Well, I guess she works at a hospital, so she's she surrounded yeah, by she's death. Yeah, she's used to seeing death. She and Devin just, like, immediately start kissing, and they decide that they're not meant to be spies. Chuck, seeing this display of romantic affection, uh, decides to hack the PDA, if you will, by telling Sarah that he loves her. Uh, but she's mad, understandably. She says, this isn't over, and leaves him tied up with all the dead bodies. How's he gonna get out of there? She doesn't care. Sarah don't give a shit, as they say. Oh, yeah. Back in Castle, Beckman and Casey interrogate Rebecca Romaine, a scene in which she says, you're not my general, uh, which was disappointing. I mean, I'm I'm happy that she doesn't consider Beckman her general. Um, I'm happy that, like, because Beckman would never hire a person like this, but, like, Clearly, Beckman is everyone's general. So it was a little, it was just shocking to hear. If not everyone's queen. That's true. Yes. The, the, light of, the light of our life, the star in our sky. Casey brings out the toy and doesn't seem as shy about using it. Um, but I, maybe he does because we don't actually see him use it. Show the torture, Chuck. Robin immediately confesses to everything, including a conspiracy against Chuck, which means all charges on Team Bartowski get immediately dropped and Casey's record is expunged. That seems a little too easy, and Chuck thinks so too. He's still wondering what's going to happen now that the omen has been released. Who did Rebecca Romaine work for? Uh, Rebecca Romaine didn't know who she was working for. It's, it's still kind of mysterious and nefarious. Um, so, I don't know. Un, unspecified torture expert was coming after Chuck and he's a little worried about it. Speaking of torture, we get a scene in which Chuck apologizes to Sarah. Chuck, uh, Sarah assures Chuck that he's not fated to be alone or to hurt anyone. These things happen because of the choices that he's made. She says that the Bartowski curse ends right there with them. And then she just kind of forgives him. She's just like, yeah, I understand why you did that and I, I love you. Um, but she does threaten to kill him, so that that was nice. Back at the complex, the agents that were guarding Casey's apartment have dispersed. Alex wants to look in Chuck's pants, but Morgan says no and gives her his <laughs> pants to look in instead. <laughs> I mean, that's that's why they did this. So we felt pride in the joke that they were trying to make, and we laughed at it. So we're no better than them. <laughs> As I was going to say, this pants joke finally paid off at the end of the episode. <laughs> Not even the, the end of the episode of Chuck, but the end of the episode of Go Chuck Yourself. The pants joke finally, after 10 years, <laughs> finally landed. Alex is honored that uh, Morgan would trust her with, with looking in his pants. <laughs> then Morgan ruins everything by telling Alex that their night together was a nice date, which clearly makes Alex uncomfortable. Um, and is very, like, I don't know. I thought Morgan had matured a little more than this. Um, I, it's clearly meant to be, like, cute and kind of, like, self-deprecating, but it's, it's kind of weird. Um, she's, like, to his face is kind of, like, 
uh, dismissive of it, but then she is kind of charmed. Morgan says he should go, even though he's currently in his apartment, so I don't know where he's going to go. Maybe just to work, maybe to return Chuck's pants to his apartment. Once he's gone, Alex opens Morgan's pants, and right on top, there's a picture of them. I mean, like, Morgan and Alex, to be clear. Uh, And that's, you know, that's kind of nice. He also has the invitation to her graduation party, which is, like, it's nice. This, This is a nice thing. Across the way, Ellie and Devin have just gotten home, and they're finally, finally able to fuck on the couch. They have a great time. They're they're so turned on. I feel like this is not this is not canon, but I feel like what we're led to believe in this episode is this is the evening where they decide that they're going to have a second child. <laughs> like I feel like the sex they're about to have is like conceive a human life kind of sex. <laughs> it's just the impression that I was getting. Wearing Sarah's dress. She doesn't take it off, at, at least not um, not when they start kissing. That's so. why the then they can, when they have another baby girl, they can, probably wouldn't be your first name, Sarah, but I feel like middle name would be Sarah in that case. Or Jenny. Or Burton. Burton, Sarah, Woodcomb. There you Perfect. go. Perfect. Great. That sounds Beautiful like a name. trendy name. Yeah. Would fit right in in Brooklyn. Uh, down in Castle, all the computers start going weird. Chuck deduces that it's the Omen. It's not just affecting their computers, it's affecting the whole internet. We cut to, like, Times Square and Piccadilly Circus and, like, screens all around the world, which are flickering. Down in Castle, Chuck is upset because he feels this is all his fault. He wonders, what is the Omen doing? What is it waiting for? We cut then to a lonely prison uh, in a a row of doors um, that are locked and secured. And one of them unlocks. And I really, 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 really hope that behind that door is Daniel Shaw. But I don't know. That's who I was thinking was behind yeah. the door. But my memory could be wrong. But I guess Bachelor number out. one is behind the door. <laughs> you thought he was dead, but he's right here. <laughs> That's Chuck versus the curse. More like Chuck versus the virus. Am I right? Yes. Chuck versus the omen. Truck versus the toy. <laughs> toy also, I mean, this is a very sexually explicit episode of Go Chuck Yourself. I'm not proud of this, but <laughs> the toy also sounds like a sex toy. Sexual device. I mean, that's true. Not a lesson of the week, but something that I feel off the cuff to share that I looked into. I was like, because they refer to the omen as being a Zetabyte of something. Okay, yeah. Zetabyte is a real thing, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently, we are currently living in the Zetabyte era. You're like, what's the Zeta? We might have actually transcended the Zeta Byte era, but apparently the Zeta Byte era occurred or it started um, in 2016. Interesting. When the amount of digital data in the world at one time exceeded a Zeta Byte. Um, okay. So this was airing in 2011 when the Omen could take out a zettabyte of data right away and that would be like a big deal. But maybe now you're saying we could survive the Omen because it, it couldn't take out all the data that we have? Uh, I don't know about that, but um, it may have actually, we may have entered it in the, in 2012. They didn't, rec- They I guess, depending on your definition, it could have been 2016 or 2012. But okay. that's fascinating. Two that important the, years in American history. The amount of... Uh, data at any one given time like it's crazy like when because when chuck is talking about like that's everything mm-hmm. i guess a zeta byte really is 
basically everything like yeah. any and um you can imagine that the uh that size will only grow so apparently beyond a zeta byte is a yotta byte which how do you, is how do you spell it with a y yeah y-o-t-t-a-b-y-t-e it kind of feels like this episode is going to be taking up a zeta byte <laughs> it does it does <laughs> so let's move on to chuck mary kill where we're going to take one part of this episode that we want to marry and then eventually have like some kind of spy role-playing date night thing, <laughs> um, which may or may not lead to the conception of a child. Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing that we'd like to kill and just step over it, just totally... Leave it behind. Leave it behind. No one cares. So, Aaron, what would you like to marry this week? Mine is kind of a complicated marriage. I would say it's a little bit of a strained marriage. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed... Um, Brian McPartland and Sarah Lancaster's performance in this episode. I like their chemistry, I would say. I'm not really a fan, and we will talk about this when we're doing our score. I I don't love the concept of um, them like saying, let's be spies. I feel like that's already done. Um, I thought that some of the decisions that they both, and particularly Ellie, make like defied reason and were out of character. But I generally like I I felt warm and fuzzy watching them love each other. Mm -hmm. And love is not a euphemism for sex in this case. I mean, that was nice, too. But I just mean like feelings of love for one another. Um, Seeing that on screen, we haven't had a lot of time with Ellie and Devin as a couple Mm -hmm. recently. And it was nice to see. What about you? That's a good point. Uh, you know, I know it's kind of cliche at this point, but I'd say I'd have to uh, highlight Yvonne's performance, especially mm-hmm. towards the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a really good job of being pissed at Chuck and had mm-hmm. a fantastic you fucked up face. Yeah. Uh, really felt like you could see how stone cold her eyes were, how uh, how deeply, deeply upset she was. And uh, uh, having having been on the other end of those faces <laughs> in the past. uh it's she did a good job that felt very true to life and i appreciate her mini monologue about breaking the bartowski Bartowski Mm -hmm. curse and uh she didn't write it she didn't improvise it but it's true we are not beholden to the mistakes of our parents so i also have a special shout out to uh sarah lancaster and ryan mcpartland for having handling their starring roles this week i thought they had uh seemed like they're having a lot of fun with it and i thought they did an awesome job they're cute what would you like to kill um, I have, I have a dual kill. Ooh. There was a lot more that I disliked in this episode than I liked. Uh, sure. if that was not clear. Um, I wasn't really a fan of the whole, like, we, we've moved past Morgan being kind of a creep. And although he was less creepy than he has been in the past, like, I didn't love the vibe. Like, it, it's just like this, it's, it's a weird thing where, like, Alex has rejected him and, it's fair enough that he is like a little sad about it, but him kind of like pushing like, oh, we're on a date. You called me your boyfriend, like was just weird. And I, I didn't need it from him. And it was kind of a bummer, um, especially since it was like up against the kind of sweet moments of like seeing that he's kept a picture of them or like talking about um, his relationship to Casey and like things like that. Like Morgan has matured and I haven't had a lot of cause to like, be mad at him recently um other than when i was mad at him for uh his brain stuff 
So I, I was kind of bummed out about that. And then also a bummer, I Rebecca Romaine's character was just kind of not... Um, not very interesting. Like all jokes aside, I I don't need to see torture on TV. But like this was just like really driving home that like Chuck wasn't willing to go there, and they were just like running out the clock in the script, and like not really being creative or funny or ironic with it in the ways that they have been in the past. It was just kind of like clunky and weird. Um, so I I could have done without her. I I mean, she did her best with it. She wasn't like she wasn't bad. It was just like the villain of the week. I was not a fan of. Well, that's an appropriate introduction for my kill, which uh, I would like to nominate Rebecca Romaine to the Mount Rushmore (laughs) of Chuck guest star villains who cannot act at all. (laughs) To your point, the writing was not doing her any favors, but. I did not think I thought I was like, oh, I thought it was she was going to be like kind of like a really brief cameo. But I was like, oh, you're like the villain for the entire episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think it was somewhat better than Stone Cold Steve Austin, but somewhat worse than Nicole Richie is how I would place her. Well, of course, everything is worse than Nicole Richie because her performance is great. Disagree. Now we're going to move on to the scooter scale where we're going to give rank rate. Give this episode certain number of corn dogs on a scale of zero to five based on how much we enjoyed it. Aaron, how many corn dogs would you like to give this episode? I would like to give this episode two corn dogs. Okay. It's a, it's a nice, um, I like, it's not like a satisfying meal, but it's like, you're, you're going to be, you're going to have felt the amount of time you spent eating those corn dogs. <laughs> um, metaphors aside, it, it was kind of like, I, I don't think I'm going to remember this episode at all. I didn't remember it watching it. Um, it felt like a conglomeration of just like previous plot lines that we've seen just kind of like picked out of a hat and thrown at an episode. I've seen Devin and Ellie want to be spies. I've seen Chuck freak out about becoming his father. I've seen Chuck and Sarah or I've seen Chuck and Sarah fight. Um, I've seen Sarah be rightfully mad at Chuck. I've seen. Uh, well, I haven't seen Beckman and Casey drink themselves into a stupor in a, uh, or not drink themselves into a stupor in a very fake looking diner. Um, but all of it just kind of felt like very, um, par for the course. And I remember, um, so I guess I was wrong when I said I didn't remember this episode. I remember my reaction to seeing this episode for the first time, and I will stand by what I felt then that I'm kind of disappointed that Devin and Ellie like didn't like kind of messed up and didn't get a chance to shine and had to be rescued by Sarah. I think it would have been funner um, if their attempts to be spies had actually worked and they had actually saved the day. Um, I don't remember if that's how it worked out the last time this happened. I think Devin did kind of help, but I, I think we've seen Chuck and Sarah be heroes enough and I would have really liked to see like, if not Devin, like at least Ellie, like do really well and actually like manage to incapacitate a guard by something other than like her looks and then Sarah popping up. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I mean, I said it before. There was just a lot more about this episode that I disliked or found boring than things that I found exciting. So two corn dogs. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty much right there. I give it two point five. Uh, I wanted to like this episode since it is Ellie and Devin centric, but uh, 
And I guess you could, for that reason, it's a little bit of a departure from a typical episode. But to your point, it did feel like kind of an amalgamation of things that we've seen before. It just felt very bland. I watched it, you know, a few hours ago. And I feel like I'm already rapidly forgetting about it. Uh-huh. Like I watched the episode and then went and had dinner. And as I was eating dinner, trying to reflect on the episode and think about how what I was going to talk about, I was like, am I already forgetting things about this episode? <laughs> it felt like this kind of like weird dream that I had. I feel like, you know, as we've said, the premise of the civilian couple pretending to be spies and actually having to become spies. It's kind of a stale concept. Don't know if it was as stale in 2011, but I thought that the Bartowski curse stuff did have potential. It didn't totally land for me um, as an emotional arc for Chuck, but I do think that like, as you were saying earlier, that there is kind of like, you could see that buying tying into like a believable trauma or that would be something that Chuck would have as a, self-mythologizing kind of thing yeah and i don't know overall there are just some weird moments like the pants the whole introduction of the pants thing mm-hmm. like we're almost at the end of the show yeah there's been plenty of circumstances where chuck could have evoked this earlier yeah. not saying that i wanted more of this to be like a yeah. reoccurring thing but i'm like really chuck at no point felt the need to try to get his pants before yeah the roadhouse also was just a weird choice because yeah. casey's like oh we're meeting at the usual place that we always meet yeah. at when there's trouble like, we've never seen you come here. Yeah. So. <laughs> and also, like. Weird did, things like that. Did Beckman not have anything to do? Like, she is a leader of the CIA. Like, she could just leave and no one would question that. I don't know. I guess if she told them that she was trying to get Chuck. And I, I was yeah, more I like, guess. did she close down this roadhouse? Does this roadhouse actually <laughs> exist? Or is it just a CIA cover? Or Like, did she show up and be like, yo, here's 50 grand. You guys are closed <laughs> for the night. And the guys are like, okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know. <laughs> I have a feeling we're never going to see it again. So they just needed some cool spot to for the four of them to hang out, I guess. But yes, so. Yeah. So now the lesson of the week. Aaron, what did you learn? I learned that having skills at torturing people is something you can just lie about on your resume. Just bluff. Just bluff. Nobody will call you out on it. Because <laughs> they'll be too scared because you said yeah. that you're good at torturing people. They're yeah. like, I don't want to. What about you? This week, I learned that Alex is kind of a dick. We were led to believe that she's all sweet and innocent and nice, but here she is prank calling 911 to solve a problem, taking first responders away from actual emergencies, and then she immediately looks inside Morgan's pants box <laughs> as soon as he walks away. It's, well, he said he, she could. It's not for sharing. And then she just she's like, okay, she wants she, to open Chuck's to too. Us. Yeah, that's true. This is what happened when children grow up without a father figure or a strong male influence. I yeah I I don't know I was I was conflicted on Alex's thing because like this is this is clearly a trope this is something we've seen before if not in Chuck then in other shows like the woman like turning on her tears and pretending like a a cop or something is like her crazy ex boyfriend um on one hand like you girl boss girl like you you game the system you like use the fact that women are often abused to your advantage to solve a problem like. Maybe that's being a girl boss, but on the other hand, it is kind of uncomfortable because she's essentially lying about being abused, and that's a no-no. So it's it's just kind of uncomfortable, and if nothing else, it's stale. Stale. Yep. One word could be used to describe this whole episode of Go Chuck Yourself. It could be stale. You think you think our episode was stale? I thought you were going to say the episode of Chuck. I, th- no. I think we're in our prime right now, maybe. We're, this is the freshest Go Chuck Yourself <laughs> has ever been. I feel like we could go for another three hours. Yep. Uh, but we're not going to. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, 
happy, happy day after Halloween. Feliz Dia de los Muertos, <laughs> mi amigos. Uh, thank you for joining us on this, our very special, maybe the most special Halloween episode of Go Check Yourself. Uh, I appreciate it. I've had fun. I'm going to take off my little devil, my cute little devil costume that I've been wearing all night. Cheeky little devil. Cheeky little devil. That's that's who I am. My name is Chris Gillespie reminding you that food, like the woodcombs in this episode, is sexy. I thought you were going to say food is scary because it's Halloween. Did we do that ever? We should have done that. <sighs> Damn it. Why didn't you suggest that earlier? I'm so sorry. I, I'm just, now I have to think of one for me. I'm just thinking about how sexy the woodcombs are now. My name is Aaron Arana, reminding you that um, anything is scary. Huh. Any, anything you is scary. It. Perfect. Okay. Yep. Okay. Good night. <laughs> Took your line. Beat you. You got to be really fast to take Jamie Taco's lines. Oh, my God. I was going to make that reference and you got there first again. That's right. Because. <laughs> All right. See you later. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.